Hi everyone, my name is Stath, and uh, I'm joined across the southeast of England today by Tom. Hello. Will. Hi. And signed on a free transfer in the sense that we didn't pay anything for him and no one wanted any money for him is Jonathan Blakey. But bargain transfer that is. <laughs> so obviously we're putting um, in the follow-up to the managerial change. Um, I don't think anyone's surprised that that's the reason that we've all got together. Does anyone have anything pressing or really important they want to say first of all about this whole situation? No, okay. We're all in a state of mourning. Uh, I've got my black armband on and we did have a minute silence before we kicked off the pod. Um, we had a minute silence just then as well, to be fair. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Actually, this doesn't actually mean we're wrong. Um, that's the main thing. Uh, no, I'm being facetious. But this still doesn't mean we're wrong. Uh, you know, this has happened, but it, there are a lot of extenuating circumstances, which I'm sure we're going to get into. I think, above all, we're all disappointed that it hasn't happened for Rossi, and we saw kind of glimpses of it with that uh, that uh, Swindon win, the Cambridge win as well, and some of the performances that maybe didn't get the results that they deserved in the end. And, you know, we've seen enough to suggest that it wasn't uh, for a lack of ability for argument's sake. And that, and that's the, probably the, the disappointing part. But I think I would speak for most Barnet fans and certainly the, those that I've spoken to and those that I've seen on the forum and on Twitter and what have you have all sort of said a similar thing, which is it's good that he's still in the club. And I think we all respect what he has done in the past and what he can do and it's good that we've kind of not cut our noses off in spite of our face by going no you're out see ya to a talented young coach who is well respected uh, and well liked by everyone within the club so I think in a weird way it's kind of there are a lot of positives to take out of what could have been a very uh, could have been a very negative situation um, in, in the change that was made last night it is it is a little bit of a little victory the fact that we have still managed to keep him it shows a great deal of dignity and class from Rossi uh, mm. and TK himself as well for you know allowing him to go back into the role and head, head of youth development or whatever it is uh, where he was so successful before um, seven years or something in that role I think he had uh, he's been we've seen a great number of youth players come into that first team not just through him but with managers previous to him as well so um you can expect him to carry on the good work in that role without the stress and the hassle of uh, the first team manager role. I'm glad you uh, mentioned the stress, so I'm going to make a quick little recap. Uh, we last recorded a pod after the Mansfield game. I hadn't been to that game. A last minute change in my plans meant that, funnily enough, I went to Saturday's game against Yeovil. I saw that with Will. Um, I say with Will. <laughs> I sat quite far away from Will and then at half time we spoke for about five minutes. Um, and I also met Mem from Bees Pod after that game for the first time. So shout out to Bees Pod. Um, and that game wasn't great. I thought there was a lot of um, uh, inexperience shown by players, including experienced players on the pitch for that game. Other than that, it was a bit of a non-event, I'd say, is a fair assessment of that game. The game after that, though, was the Accrington game. And we had collectively quite a big um, moment when we when we heard some news about that. So, Will, do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, I mean, that was the game where they reintroduced Ryan Watson and Nichols as well back into the starting lineup, And I think that that did maybe raise some alarm bells because... 
it wasn't like they've been involved in, you know, in a kind of bit part capacity in the season so far. They've been completely frozen out. And for, to make that kind of jump from not being involved at all into suddenly you know, being thrust into the first team, it did seem like maybe a, a manager who was desperately trying to think of alternatives because things weren't, weren't working. Uh, I don't know, it, it just it gave off the vibe that maybe things were kind of spiralling out of control a little bit, that it was a bit of a, a panic decision you know, to, to get them back in. And I guess it, it proved to be the case, really, because we haven't won a game you know, since in the last couple. So, yeah, it, it was just, just one of those times when you, you sort of, for me personally, I kind of started to think maybe things are going a little bit wrong here. That's, uh, I think, well, we all felt it at the time. Um, the next we'll, game, sorry, gone, Tom. Just to dive in quickly, just to follow up on Wilson, I think we all kind of saw it as um, a no-win situation for Rossi in a way, didn't we? That if they did brilliantly, then okay, great, but why weren't they in the team, uh, you know, from the outset? Why has why has he done the daft thing of excluding them would have been the outcry. Uh, and, and not in such nice, not put in such nice terms. But if they didn't do well, then it wouldn't perhaps reflect well on him, and it would look like a kind of last throw of the dice sort of thing. Um, so it was, it was always going to be dicey. A lot, lot of dice talk there. Um, <laughs> That's but, right. I said the word game about a million times <laughs> leading up to this question. To carry on. Um, so, in, but I gather now I haven't seen or been to any of the games that they played in. But I gather they did okay. No, sort of not discernibly better or worse than anyone else. And certainly Watson started again uh, uh, after after that uh, that initial game up at Accrington. But the problem is obviously um, people kind of who were so dead against them at the end of last season and couldn't see what they contributed. As soon as we go on a bad run, they're kind of seen as the panacea, the kind of cure all for every ill, oh, well, it's got to be the guys that aren't in the team. And it, that's always the way with um, football. But sometimes, you know, I think that people are excluded, not excluded, but left out for a reason. And uh, I think that's probably become apparent um, with those two, to be fair. I, I do think that there was sort of, there was logic to that decision in the sense that it was very apparent that we had too many youngsters probably in the starting lineup. And I think that the problem is that young players, they don't have the experience, they make more mistakes. And we were losing a lot of games because of like individual errors of individual mistakes. So I'm sure that Rossi was thinking, well, we've got these two sort of senior professionals. I know Ryan Watson's young, but he's still, I guess, more senior than someone like Wesley Fongook. Um, and you know, you put them back in there and hopefully kind of that that bit of experience will help you see out games better and that kind of thing. So I can I can see why he did it, but it just did feel a bit like a sort of last throw of the dice, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, I agree on that. Um, <clears throat> and like I said, we all highlighted it at the time. Um, the game after that was the Blackburn game. My personal opinion, having seen just the starting eleven for that game, was we don't care about this game. We don't really want to progress further in the cup. Do any of you guys take offence at me saying that? Well, I wouldn't. I, I don't know I about wouldn't say it's probably about one of the strong, as almost as strong a team as he could put out. Really, at that point, wasn't it? Nelson on the bench but you know he's at an age where he can't necessarily play um, every week apart from that it's you know what's a nickel started but I don't, I don't think it was a weak team unless I'm unless I'm missing something I, I, I actually thought it was him putting oh. out his strongest team he couldn't I think the reason he was I think he had to do that because they just needed to get a win Some, anyway didn't they yeah. and it nearly worked of course well nearly they were 1-0 up for over an hour weren't they so it you know if it if it had a worked and they hadn't nicked a draw or 
uh, better still a win who knows we might not even be having this conversation almost because that could have been the thing that sparked a couple of other results Jonathan do you want to take a turn to tell me why I'm wrong (laughs) yeah I I don't think it was that bad of a team in all honesty I think the game before that Accrington we played that uh, three slash five at the back you know with the wing backs formation and that just went disastrously wrong uh, not at the fault of Alex Nichols or Ryan Watson coming into the side. Those two are arguably actually the best players in, in that game for us. Mm. I think I remember saying that Ryan Watson was probably man of the match, but it wasn't like he put in a great performance. It was he was the best of a very, very bad bunch that day. Um, I said it before, that Accrington game was probably the worst game I've seen Barnet play in the five years that I've been covering their games. It was just disastrous. And I was thinking on the way up to Blackburn, something's, we're going to have to change something. He changed the shape. He went to four at the back. Um, and I, I think it was needed to change the shape. I think, yeah, we'll do away with that three or five at the back formation for a little while um, and switch it up, mix things up a bit. Ryan Watson actually started it right back with, yeah, that put my heart in my mouth a little bit when I saw that. But then five minutes into the game, we made a crunching tackle and he... He was probably, again, one of the best players on the pitch that day at right back. Alex okay. Nichols looked decent. Yeah, I think it was actually a decent sign. I don't remember Campbell Rice called up injured in the warm-up as well. He was supposed to start that game. Okay, that's fine. Um, the three of you disagree with my uh, <laughs> loosely held strong opinion. <laughs> that's fine, to be honest. Um, I'm, I'm, this is not the first time I've said something stupid, and it won't be the last, I'm afraid. Um, the game after that was the Colchester game. Um I'm going to go to Jonathan because you've had the least talking time of us all thus far. Anything <laughs> notable about the Colchester game? Uh, yeah, I just did say that we he was planning to do, or he, I thought he was going to do away with that three or five at the back formation. Then in the Colchester game, you switch back to it. Um, but it's quite rare you see two teams start with the same formation. Um, and they they both sort of cancelled each other out, really. The wing backs were largely marking no one for the whole game because their opposite number was way down the other end of the pitch. So... It was a bit difficult. Both defences were on top. The only thing that I can criticise about that game is that fact there was there was no creativity in it. Obviously, Campbell Rice is injured. Um, he started with John Akinde and Cole Thurst, which looked great. Uh, Jamie was back as well. But then he, midway through the game, Akinola again, I can understand why he started. He's hit a bit of form. But the game was so tight and even and scrappy. It looked like it was destined for a nil-nil and substitutions were made. He took John Akinde off after 70 minutes. You've got to look after him. I understand that. Akrapra came on. But then he took Akinola off and put um, Alex Nichols on. And I thought, no disrespect to Alex Nichols or anybody else or Rossi even for making the decision, but I thought that might have just been the most uninspiring substitution at all. I looked at that bench and I thought, poor Ruben, a really creative player. We've all seen him play in that number 10 position before quite well. And I thought in that game where it was so tight, you need someone who's going to be brave enough to pick a pass and unlock the defence in a difficult game where we our only game plan was putting crosses in from wide positions and three six foot million lumps at the back were heading them away for fun. We needed a little bit more, something a little bit different in midfield and a little bit more advanced up the pitch. I thought Ruben would have been perfect for that. We put Alex Nichols on with the idea, I think, of finishing off the chances. The problem was there was no one there to create the chances. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, I wasn't there, but that sounds like a... Well, you've described it really well, and I, as you're describing it, I can actually identify the problem, <laughs> if you know what I mean, just just from the picture you're drawing for me. Um, in the lead-up to that game, Will, we had some questionable news uh, regarding Rossi. Um, did you... Actually, did you see this game while you still on holiday? No, I watched this from... 
the wonders of modern technology. I watched it on iFollow on my on my phone, sitting in a hotel room in Korea. It's fantastic, on really. Phone. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so the um. So the, the news we had in advance of the game, as you were watching the game, did it spring to mind? Were you thinking good things, bad things? I thought that, to be honest, I, I went into the game really feeling quite positive because we had the, those players back from injury. You know, Stevens was involved, Kindy, Cool Thirst. And I kind of thought, well, this is, this is a really big game because it's, it's a potential turning point. Um, and I, I guess what was so disappointing about the match, as Jonathan said, was that it, those players were meant to come back and were well, not Stevens, but the other two were meant to come back and add a real kind of attacking impetus to the team, and it didn't really do that. In fact, actually, we didn't we didn't carve out anything. Um, it was so underwhelming in attack. And then when we let when we it was a very even match, but when we let in that goal, I just thought, you know what, this is the the sign that when your luck's out, your luck's out essentially because like I think that was the make or break. Well, we know it was the make or break game for Rossi because he's not in charge anymore. <laughs> but um, you know, it just seemed that. They, they've been losing so much that the moment those players came back they were either going to really do it for them and turn it round or it was just going to be more of the same and it ended up being more of the same I think he's a, he's a, he's a no luck at all really I, I, I do feel for him because I think that you know when when he's needed a result to go his way it hasn't it's all the injuries like I don't know I can, I, when you look back at some of those games where we played such fantastic football early in the season you just think if if he'd been a lucky manager, I know you hate luck, Staffy, but you know the injuries hadn't come at that time, or a certain goal wasn't conceded at that moment. I actually think you could be looking at him, you know, Barnett doing really well, being high up the table. All the players would have been behind him, and he'd still be in the job. I think it's been very unfortunate for him. I'm I'm not a huge fan of luck, as 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 you know, and you alluded to, um, but I I would actually say that in one aspect, a crucial aspect, which was injuries, that Rossi was very unlucky. Um, Tom, I. I know that you talking. You think my, one of my pet hates talking about luck. One of your pet hates is the whole chairman has given manager X amount of games to turn it around. Um, given that we believe it was a one-game deal, <laughs> for, for lack of a better word, um, mm. how do you feel about that? Yeah, what we learned was um, that the Colchester game wasn't. It wasn't necessarily make or break, but there was you know something riding on it and in the end the change was made um i think the kind of example in the premier league that we've heard a lot about over the last couple of years was slavin bilic and he's got two games to save his job and he kind of inevitably lost one then got a reasonable result in the other and kind of limped on for another few months before it got so bad again that it was he's got eight games to save his job and it kind of feels like if you get to that point then you've obviously made your mind up about them and you can't live this kind of hand-to-mouth existence where they keep kind of saving their job every few months you just better being bowled biting the bullet and making decision and that's not to say that i would have advocated getting rid of Rossi because I think we've all said everybody has said it's far from an original thought but once the injuries come back it'll be a different kettle of fish altogether and he had one game where a couple of them came back obviously Tarpy and Johnson are out for the season but he had Shaq, John and Jamie Stevens back and really you're still waiting on um, Curtis before you could sort of and um, Richard Brindley sorry before you could really say okay everyone who's going to be back is back so Jamal, Jamal Campbell Rice as well Jamal as well there you go so sorry yeah wow I'm really out of the loop um <laughs> so it was you know it was kind of hard but I think at the same time if you get the injury the, the injury get the injured players back and we've as we've alluded to we've now got a reasonable run of fixtures in terms of 
um, teams that are struggling, teams that are down there around us. If you have all of that going in your favour and you still can't get the results, then there are real problems and probably the negativity and sets in from supporters and the morale potentially um, kind of drops to an irretrievable level. So perhaps this was the point at which not they couldn't take, not that not say that uh, Rossi couldn't go on, but this was the natural kind of break point in a way um, for, for kind of the best suited all parties, I suppose. That's for a, me, that's a fair way of saying it. Uh, carry on, Jonathan, yeah. For me, in my head, I had it. Colchester was a must-win game. Obviously, we didn't win that. After that Colchester game, I was going. I was thinking Port Vale is do or die, really, for Rossi. In the thinking that Port Vale started the season off horribly, and uh, they sacked their manager. Ever since they've done that, they've started to pick up a little bit. And I was just thinking, if if Rossi is still in charge going into that game, lose it and the thought, the seed will be planted about thinking, well, maybe we should do what Port Vale have done. Maybe we should take, learn a lesson from them, take a leaf out of their book. Um, TK will be keeping a very close eye on that game. Um, I wasn't expecting Rossi to go uh, so soon. I was expecting him to at least get that Port Vale game, but I suppose if he's decided that it's uh, it's for the best for the club that he walks in, maybe uh, he, may, he probably has made the right decision because all of a sudden I am now looking forward to Port Vale a lot more positively than I was thinking about it before I heard the news about Rossi. You raise a really valid point, which is um, I'm not too sure how scientific this is, but there was, it sticks in my mind that there was some research done and it basically found that there is a new manager bounce, that it lasts X period of games, which I think is five or six games, I'm not 100% sure. And I think I've alluded to in the past there being in a sense, in essence, um, history is written by the victors, and by that, what I mean is that um, if from here Rossi had, sorry, was still in charge, and we have the next few games and the run-up we've had in terms of form and players returning from injury, it could well have, as uh, Tom basically stated, it could well have just continued to be poor form, and. The reality is that could have been completely fair because players don't just return from injury and then give 10 out of 10 every week. Um, you know, they've, they've got match fitness to regain, the you know, the, the colloquial match fitness, um, but they do have sharpness to regain. They have confidence to regain in their bodies, in their playing ability, because some of them might be a bit rusty. Um, but with the new manager coming in, as again, as Tom has basically stated, with the new manager coming in, it feels a bit fresher. As you said, Jonathan, there's a bit of optimism back. So players returning from injury are now returning into what may feel like a new environment, as opposed to returning into what was a pretty negative environment while nursing these injuries or their confidence coming back from injury and feeling pressured. Now there's a bit more freedom to it. Um, so that is a, po a huge positive and given that we're talking about positivity there's only one man I can ask about the next couple of games which is uh, Will am I am I feeling positive about it yeah I suppose yeah I suppose I am I I, I think that I think the players are there I always say this I know but I think that I think the players are there for Barnett to be much higher up the league, league table than they are um, and I think that probably what's happened is you've got I said this to Tom during the week I think that you've had this this bad run and then you've got an, you've got an inexperienced manager in charge and so a lot of the players probably lose a little bit of faith in the manager because you know he hasn't done it before and when you're losing games you probably start to to question him a little bit and i just wonder if like with these good fixtures coming up the presence of a really experienced manager like a sort of strong personality might just just kick start them into a good runner good you know good runner results 
and with the injuries, you know, crucially, if we can get like Curtis Weston back, Brindley back, add them into the players that already returned, I can, yeah, I can see the next few games going well. And, and like you said, there is a new manager bounce. So, yeah, it's a good opportunity to, to pick up some much needed points over the next sort of five or six matches. I mean, Tom, you uh, you audibly went to agree when I was talking about the new manager bounce. Will's just alluded to it. With the set of fixtures we have ahead of us, how are you feeling? Yeah, very very optimistic because of all the kind of factors that the guys have, um, have mentioned. And for this 13 or 14 game in the slam, whatever it's been, we're still only a point behind Port Vale. Still only, you know, a win away from going up all the way up to kind of 20th Sorry, 18th potential. Uh, Crawley Town are on 17 points and they're in 18th. So, you know, it's so. It's, a third of the season is gone, but it is so, so tight that, you know, nothing, the, the die is very much not cast at this stage. So, and I think that's important as well. You can't, you've got to, if you are going to make a change, you almost have to say, give the new bloke a fighting chance rather than hanging, rather than giving the rope to hang himself by putting in when your X points adrift at the bottom of the league in February, which, you know, in the past, the kind of, and maybe, and this is a thought, it's just ahead, maybe this is something where the chairman learned that you can't keep being that cat with nine lives and going, crap, it's March, April time, what's Martin Allen doing? Can he get out of dead stuck? And yeah, it's worked up to the point, but obviously, uh, it, you know the 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 music was pl- the, the music stopped and Barnet was still trying to dance a few years ago and we got relegated and we had to come back up and a lot of people have kind of this is turning into a bit of a tangent on tangent on tangent but a lot of people just have, how I like it carry on avoid <laughs> relegation at all costs well have we you know obviously clubs go out for the league and never come back but history has proven that we're sensibly enough we're run sensibly enough if we went down we'd probably come back sooner or later it's not a scenario you want to get into but um, it wouldn't be the end of the world so but I think the fact that we've made the change now suggests that the chairman probably feels otherwise and you know it's probably harder to sell a, the facility as, as what it is and you know getting people into train and play and eat at the restaurants and blah 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 if uh, if you're uh, not a football league team one thing I was going to add as well actually if you'll allow me was it's kind of it, it's kind of a, a philosophical debate now almost of you know do you take the short term hit for the long term gain when Rossi was appointed it was very much with the idea that he would promote from within sign young players and you know sort of go for more uh, kind of organic approach maybe rather than going down the Martin Allen kind of route and it's not to say that either is right or wrong but you know with Martin you knew what you were going to get it was going to be a more um, more kind of agricultural direct style of play the players coming in were going to be kind of veterans so to speak who knew the league inside out and you know were probably maybe on the beginning of their decline rather than on their way up and we're kind of we've kind of sort of fully signed up to the uh, head coach director of football model with James Thorne coming in. And but Rossi. are we though? Sorry, but are we? Um, Mark McGee has been um, titled that, first team manager. We were, but then it was kind of a bit like we were with Mark Robson working under Paul Fairclough all those years ago, and then it was oh this hasn't worked immediately. We can't get relegated. You know, 
wipe everything, wipe the slate completely clean and just stay in the league now. And are we just going to keep doing this or do we at some point have to, and this is what I came back to with the relegation, do we have to say, right, fine, going out of football league is not ideal, it is a gamble, it is a risk, it's probably, it's probably not good management to go, nah, if we go out of the league, who cares? But do you at some point have to go, we do that for the greater good and the longer term and the bigger picture and hopefully we come back stronger with a team that is able to grow together under a coach who is able to learn and grow with them and really implement his style and kind of have that style through all the age groups throughout the club and try and really build and kind of have a running start at being back in League 2 when you get promoted and you know maybe actually get out of this division because you know really the existence of the club for the last so many years since the early mid 90s has been surviving in League 2 with the odd kind of good season in between or dropping into the conference and getting back up so maybe it's time to say staying in the football league at all costs hasn't worked maybe we can just suck up getting relegated and then you know use that as a bit more of a springboard to actually achieve something in league two rather than just trying to exist as we have done tom there's so many so many responses i'd like to make different areas i'd like to respond to there um i can't i mean i don't agree i think that I, I think you've got to say in the full league at all costs. The, well, for starters, the whole principle of bringing the youth through is based on having a successful youth academy, which is pretty much propped up by the funding you, you only get as a football league club. Um, so, so that's yeah, that's one. Also, you've got this stadium development coming in the in the summer, potentially rebuilding sort of half the ground. I'm not sure that'll be financially viable. You know, when you're not even a football league club, I I, I think that getting a structure in place where you bring through the youngsters i do think that's the right way forward but i do think there's just that cutoff point where you've got to be in the sort of safe mid-table positions and upwards in league two before you can make that your sole priority you know i think when you start getting down to the the bottom you know bottom two three there's just got to be an element of pragmatism just to, you know even if it's only for for a matter of months and then you know, you reset again and try and you know try and push the youngsters through again one thing that's worth mentioning, I'm not entirely sure that Mark McGee joining is an end to the way we've been trying to do things recently. I'm not sure if it's necessarily a return to the, the Martin Allen way because I believe that he has brought through quite a lot of young players at previous clubs. Um, now, I'm not an absolute expert on this, but I, th I think it's, it's certainly in his first spell at Motherwell, I think um, quite a few youngsters came into the team because there was quite limited funds. Um, he plays... I think quite attacking football um, it's, it's not all in the air you know, a lot of it's on the deck as well so and added to that um, you've got um, you've got Rossi sort of in this kind of new role sort of overseeing the the, the, the progress of the, you know, the youngsters getting into the first team so I wonder if it's not completely throwing that idea out all it is is just getting a more experienced manager who you could oversee things rather than someone who's just learning their trade so, yeah, good report uh, sorry good good repost i was gonna say um one quick thing i wanted to say tom i think we did do that <clears throat> when we last went down i think there was a, a different atmosphere because we went down from underhill and we came up at the hive um jonathan i'm gonna hand back over to you yeah i i'd agree with uh will in saying that you i think mm. you have to stay in the football league i think it's i think what tom you were trying to say is that we're, we're trying to build an identity and maybe it'll be easier to start that or really kick it off in the foot in the national league where i don't think it is if we're trying to be tk has said it many times before the style of football that we played under martin Allen was the reason we didn't get so many people in the stadium to watch the football 
Mm. Um, he's always tried to revert to this passing style of football, this attractive style of football with Edgar Davids and Rossi Eames trying to play it to some degree. I think Kevin Nugent tried, attempted to play some sort of... Just sounds like a dig just from the tone of voice, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I don't know what style of football we were trying to play under him. But um, (laughs) but if you you drop down to the National League, you're going to be trying to play passing style of football on really dodgy pitches against really dodgy teams. You know, you've got different types of pitches as well. You're going to be losing a good number of games just by playing a passing style of football because sometimes you just simply can't play that way. So, two so, counterpoints to yeah. all of you. One, uh, does I don't, this is a genuine question, how much money do we get from being in the Football League? I highly doubt it pays for the plans that the chairman has for the ground. But I imagine a lot of that comes from partially grants, kind of from the council or the lottery or whatever it may be partially his pocket and partially the non-football revenue that the Hive, London and associated groups generate. So I don't know if that's really dependent on the Football League. And I wasn't saying necessarily that it would be easier to blood the kids in the conference. I agree with Jonathan. It's a pretty, although it's probably overblown as a stereotype, this, you know, blood and thunder, muck and nettles, hoofing from one end of the pitch to the other. It is more kind of difficult you do need warriors and I think that's why Martin Allen's so good at it because he he knew exactly what it took but I mean in terms of just having the patience and kind of accepting the consequences of this season to build in the longer term but Will is right in what he said uh, as well that there are a lot of things attached to the Football League that are you know pretty important and I probably went a bit far in saying that a good policy for a football club would to be just going relegation. Nah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's never quite that simple, is it? Um, probably what? a good thing you're not running a football club. Yeah, it's, it's almost like that. It's almost like that. It's all, I mean, if one of us were hypothetically to be struggling with a football manager, it would be the one who would just say, "Yep, yeah, relegation. I'll sort the team out." To be honest, before we recorded this, I just won my first game by chucking John a half fit John Akindi on. So having got him back from injury so won your first game in how many first in six there we go first game sounds a lot better than first in six um, one thing I wanted to say that I thought Will said which was exactly how I feel about it you begin expansive plans when you hit a glass ceiling so when you are solid mid-table and you're starting to get bored bored in mid-table or top half oh, of the table but not progressing that's when I think you start the new place. plans sorry say again we have hit a glass ceiling it's 15th place yeah, we have finished there for the past two seasons. I mean, potentially. Um, I, I mean, and we had the expansive plan in place beforehand, to be honest. Um, but I'm just saying that I, I would agree with Will. I think you do what you do to get as far as you can, then you make changes. One thing I would say on that um, is something else the chairman has, has said quite a lot, which I believe to be true. I don't see how much further this club can go with such a small fan base. Um, true. Accrington Stanley aside, I know that you know Accrington Stanley are the poster child for small fan base. Um, good results. If you exclude them, it, it, there is a very strong correlation between fan base and where they oh. are in the league for most teams. This conversation's really only missing one phrase, which I will say now to put everyone out of their misery, and you can get your uh, you can get your bingo stampers out and stamp the card. Crew Alexandra of the South. That's what we're really looking for. <laughs> I was expecting you to go down the Bristol Rovers Legion of Fans uh, <laughs> <laughs> Avenue. Go on, then, Will. No, you're right. That is what we're aiming to do, isn't it? I mean, there's no 
I don't think there's any great sort of demand, any clamour from the Barnet fans that suddenly like loads of money's pumped in and we're we're you know <laughs> pushing for the Premiership in in ten years' time or whatever. I think the expectation is to try and be like crew, you know, generate your own generate income from player sales. Uh, bring through your own homegrown players, and that got them pretty far. I mean, they got all you know. They they spent a good few years mm. staying up in the championship with that that philosophy, and then an awful lot of years in it? League One as well. So, like, I don't think that's impossible. I know Crew are, are a little bit bigger than we are um, as a club, but that's probably what we're, what we're aspiring to grow to is to kind of get to that point where we're getting the attendance is closer to like the 4,000 mark on a regular basis rather than the 2,000 mark and then also having that philosophy to go alongside it that hopefully will eventually project us you know at least into League One at some point but I mean it's a different um, it's a different thing for example to use crew as an example it was a different time I'm not sure there is as much money I'm, I'm saying this with you know the hat on I have today I could have a different hat on next week to be honest I'm not too sure where my actual valid opinion lies but um players tend to move on free transfers at the end of their contract now so I'm not actually sure particularly with the EPPP EPP? Elite Player Performance Plan yeah <laughs> with that in place I'm not too sure how much money there is in raising your own players and then selling them at a certain point um, but I mean this is all potentially a discussion for a different day Jonathan I'm going to come to you in a second and I'm going to sort of refocus us towards what I imagine most fans would be thinking um, which is what does the future look like for Barnet Football Club? New manager in place. So we've, we've covered the next couple of games and it's a very good opportunity for the new manager to hit the ground running. You, of course, will be there. Uh, we've got players returning from injury. Do you think that heading into Christmas, we could have it, it could have a big impact on how we look at January, for example? Or do you think that actually, it's no matter what happens now, we, just, we have the players, we just need to start getting the results? Uh, interesting. Um... I, I try to be. I try. We, we, <laughs> what someone was saying it earlier was it you saying that we were there's a new manager effect and normally it lasts for about five games or something like that. Within the next five games, I think we we're talking before saying that we have actually got a good run of fixtures as well. There is an opportunity for confidence to be gained from those fixtures. If there is a new manager effect, we might just completely blitz these teams. That is a hypothetical point. Um, but with that would come confidence. Um, with more players coming back, I still think Richard Brindley's expected to be back by around Christmas time. There's videos of him starting running now on the Barnet Twitter account and all that. Curtis Weston isn't far off. There is players coming back. I don't know what sort of type of players uh, Mark McGee goes and signs. I don't know what his traditional uh, usual signing is in January. We don't know how much money he'll have to work with as well. Uh, um, but I still think January's a long way off thinking. I still think we need strengthening in certain areas of defence and midfield, definitely. Um, maybe a little bit more cover for injured players. I don't. Can I, um, uh, sorry, can I ask you, Jonathan, I'm going to come back to you with a question, actually. If Wes had been um, brought in as an external free transfer or even as a transfer or whatever, and had, had come in and had performed the way that he has, would we still be saying we need a new player? Yeah, in my eye. What, a defensive midfield? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so if, if you know if, if Wes was a signing, would we would we say yeah we we actually still need another player or would we say he's good enough? I'd still say we'd need another signing because as good as he is, sometimes it, he's played a lot of games this season. It hasn't. I hate. To, I sound like really critical right now, but it hasn't had the desired effect that we wanted to. We haven't won games. I'm not trying to say he hasn't done his job, but maybe someone with a little bit more experience. I 
I dream of Soundtog World coming back is essentially what I'm trying to say. <laughs> it's um, a hard life watching Barney, isn't it? When <laughs> your dreams are of Soundtog World coming back. It is, but I, I, I do think we need a little bit more experience. And also, you can't expect players to play every single game. And other than Wes, we don't have anybody else that can really do that role. I don't think Curtis Weston's much of an improvement on Wesley Fungak in that defensive mid midfield role. And even so, he's been injured for a while. We do need a little bit more cover a little bit more experience maybe a little bit more beef or a little bit more meat about the player as well Wes is a fantastic player but he's not one of these towering players you know one player turns and I mean that's Sammy Smodix who scored that goal against against us on the weekend if he is faced by a six foot four beef of a man he might have not had that shot he might have thought oh god turn around and pass it backwards or something like that someone just a bit more of a presence really that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I would do, to be fair. If faced with someone big, I just turn around and pass it back, keep the ball possessions uh, comfy. Yeah. Um, Will, given that. Go on then, Tom. Go on then, Tom. Go on then. Go on then. Sorry. I'll try to say truthfully several times and then get loud. <laughs> it's a very quick point. We only really had one holding midfielder from kind of December last year once Sam Togwell went, and that was Tom Champion. We let him go, we didn't sign one. Wes got promoted into being a proper first team player. We definitely still need another one, regardless of where Wes came from. Um, we needed another one. It didn't happen. We believe it's going to happen in January. Hopefully that'll be the end of it, but we definitely need two. And at present, we've got one very young one. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Just to add to that, Quiddy, it was criminal, really, that we didn't bring someone in that position in the summertime. And in a sense, like, Ross Rossi was hung out to dry a little bit by that lack of a lack of a signing because you know he I don't think he's the one who's who's responsible for going out or was the one who was responsible for going out and getting those players and you know that that, that was such a glaring omission in the squad makeup that I don't know I, I, that probably contributed to an awful lot of the the negative results we've had in recent weeks not having that strong player in the middle because the moment you get an injury to you know Curtis Weston and even as you say Jonathan he's not naturally a defensive player anyway um it I don't know I just think that it was yeah real real glaring error there not to strengthen that earlier okay. it has it has just occurred to me though in the past few games Ryan Watson I think the past two games he started at right back and a lot of people have asked me how would Harry Taylor feel about being behind Ryan Watson who's naturally a central midfielder who and Harry Taylor is now seen as a right back but surely, I still believe Harry Taylor's best position is defensive midfield. And yeah, he's, so been sat, he's, he's been sat on the bench for the past few games. Ryan Watson playing at right back would free Harry Taylor up to play in midfield. And I was thinking the other day, if Rossi is to leave, which he has now done, I would want him to leave having no regrets and having tried everything. No one has tried Harry Taylor in defensive midfield since Martin Allen. And I still think he's the best player in that position maybe the answer is right under our nose maybe we don't need to go out and get someone but someone needs to open their mind and think Harry Taylor can still do a job there maybe they have and something they've seen in training has put them off because it's a point that I want to come to in a bit actually about things that we can and can't see behind the scenes um, before I do that I just want to say Jonathan your appearance on our last pod um, has driven us all from being very well I say all I've maintained my laziness Tom did a bit of effort you know he had Earlier he was talking about the league table, which he'd clearly done a bit of research into. But upon Mark McGee being announced, Will, who is um, what I would refer to as a Scottish football sympathist, is that an, is that a fair? Pervert. 
has basically spent watching Scottish football. Yeah, you love Hamilton. That is weird. Hamilton academical. I do love Hamilton academical. Yeah, very good. That's enough of that, boys. Will has basically spent the last twenty-four hours of his life just doing like a crash course on Mark McGee. So, Will. I feel like I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, actually. But do you think there's anything in particular that he might go out for in January? I'm looking. I'm looking ahead to January because I feel like with the current fixtures and how things have gone thus far, it, the season might still be a write-off until January. I'm, I'm thinking in January he gets a chance to put his little bit of a stamp on the squad. Is there anything you think he might do? Do you know what? There's a staggering lack of information out there about Mark McGee, and like <laughs> this is coming from a man who has done 24 hours of research. No, it really is. I've been on, you know, I've been scouring message boards. I was chatting to a guy called Alistair McKenzie, who's the um, he's the online sports editor for the Herald, up one of the newspapers up there. Even he couldn't really help me. I mean, he had like some information about like what he was like as a, as a character, sort of. Thing. But in terms of in terms of his actual you know, managerial style and the players he goes out and sign goes out and signs. There's, there is a sort of, I don't know. There's like an internet black hole when it comes to Mark McGee. And I think <laughs> yeah, um, the only thing I could really ascertain was that he's very big on um, moving players around in terms of like playing them out of position. That seems to be, it, it seems to be something that he's been praised for by some supporters in terms of like when, like when he was at Brighton, he was very successful. You know, working on a real kind of skeletal budget, and he could. Um, yeah, you know, he was you know, using players that you know, maybe they were. I think Adam Virgo, he moved him up to become a striker, and he did quite well. Um, but then also at the same time, there's there's other clubs like Bristol Rovers where he hasn't done well, and a lot of the supporters say, well, he's you know, he was playing left backs at right wing. You know, the whole everything was all over the place. Um, but I, I've got to be honest, I don't. Yeah, I don't have a, a masses of information about him. Certainly not as much as I'd have liked after as you say 24 hours of <laughs> reading about him to be fair we have already seen players playing out of position for a good number of years already um, all started with Sam Muggleton playing in left midfield and you had right we've mid- had Mara Valesca Mar- right midfield central midfield as well for Sam Muggleton on occasion Martin yeah. had a fixation Mar- with it didn't he? he he would just he would just shuffle players around until he felt that they started to perform yeah, but we've had Andre Blackman playing as a winger this season. We've had Mara Valletta all of a sudden. He's actually done all right as a central midfielder. I don't have much of a gripe with that anymore. But I'm sure at some point I saw Alex Nichols playing as a right wing back in pre-season. He did. He played um, against Swansea, I believe, yeah. He did, yeah. Um, so that wouldn't be so much of a surprise to me. But I have tried to, to do some of my research on Mark McGee. And like Will, I have found next to nothing. Um, I can't even tell you what his favoured formation would be and the fact that he's playing players out of position would tell me he's the type of manager that would try and fit players into a certain formation I can if I can interrupt you for a second Jonathan I did find out his favoured formation is 4-4-2 and he's used that for most of his time but but, but there has been times apparently when he's mixed it up and done like three at the back not that regularly but yeah it does seem like he's a an old school four four two man and the kind of well, I guess Martin Allen was a real four four two manager really, wasn't he? Um That's good. I, Tom hasn't spoken in a while. I, I just fear for his sanity really. So Tom, just whatever's on your mind, just let it float out, buddy. I'm, sit- I'm sitting here like bursting fit to go. <laughs> <laughs> You're off the bench, go on. Thank you. I'll t- I'll just shout over you if not, but then you don't think <laughs> I could just turn you down. For example, Will said that he turned Adam Virgo into a centre forward. I said that about five seconds beforehand, so that you're welcome. Um, <laughs> also, yeah, it, there's no information on him because he did most of his relevant work in the 90s and early 2000s, and I think that's the thing, isn't it? Like, Twitter wasn't around then, the internet was barely a thing. So, 
in all seriousness, like that's what it was kind of a left field appointment, wasn't it? Because he kind of went, he did terribly at Bristol Rovers, um, went out to be Scotland assistant manager for a while, got the Motherwell job for a bit, and you know, truthfully, outside the old firm and Aberdeen, where he stunk the place out, as we've already talked about, no one really cares, so no one pays attention. So I think that's probably why there's not much information on him, why he's kind of been sort of such a left field sign, whereas he's probably a lot more relevant in Scotland than he was down uh, down here there have been a lot of people I just kind of put the Barnet FC hashtag into Twitter this morning and most of it's you know oh, good luck with him blah 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 but isn't that always the case with new managers you know you'd get, you'd get Chelsea you get Chelsea fans saying that when Jose Mourinho went to Man United wouldn't you because it, it fits their kind of narrative that he's a bad bloke and a bad manager and so on and so forth and you know it's just plainly not true is it you have to get, keep getting jobs you have to be good at something so and he's he's managed big clubs kind of relatively speaking in England and, and reasonable kind of calibre clubs in Scotland in Bristol uh, Bristol wow that's a bit of a relocation um, <laughs> so you know I think I, I, I don't think we should get too kind of carried away with the people that are kind of sticking the boot in one I, thing I would like to add though is just looking at his managerial record his sort of win percentage with the clubs he's been at have have got worse as his career's progressed as a manager. You know, he's a lot all, better. Sorry, Jonathan, as as you guys are all talking about him, the manager that springs to my mind that he sounds like he's the same profile as is Laurie Sanchez, you know. Um don't give me pelters. <laughs> I don't <laughs> I'm just I just as you're talking about him, someone who had a, a period a long time ago where he was really good and is now on the decline, is kind of coming back from the middle of nowhere. That that is Laurie Sanchez. I hope it's not the same. I've done no research, so I don't know if he's good or spent force or anything like that obviously I hope he performs well just because I, I, I hope he performs well um, but yeah Jonathan carry on <laughs> it was just it was biting in the yeah, back no, of my head I was, I was just looking at his managerial and like I think his most recent ones have, they've all started off at the beginning of his career sort of 43-46% wins percentages and then his more recent ones are more 27-28 but again that could be you know with managers getting much shorter uh, uh, stint as managers nowadays they don't get en enough time to correct things as they did back in the 90s or what have you um, another thing that I just find it a little bit interesting is he strikes me as a type of manager who now has a lot of friends in football you know he was assistant manager to Gordon Strachan I've heard him say he's good friends with Gordon Strachan before I think Gordon Strachan brought him in because he was he was a mate he knew him well uh, and I think right at the start of the interview he's just done on the website for Barnett he says he's known TK for a long time as well um, which I suppose is handy but he, will he be bringing in players that he has worked with previously uh, instead of going out and finding new gems shall we say fair enough um, I'm going to I think progress from this just uh, Tom is there anything you would like to say in, in closing on Rossi uh, yes Sam Muggleton now plays for Boston United on loan uh, I've discovered this the other day and I just thought any Barnet fans are as obsessed with him as I am in a kind of can't believe he's actually a thing way um, he left Eastleigh, somehow went to York City, and now they don't want him either, and he's on loan at Boston United in National League North. That is my final summing up on Rossi. <laughs> <laughs> left field description. <laughs> out of interest, how are you trying... I have strenuous links when I'm, when I'm trying to put the pod together, strenuous. fair enough. Tenuous, Tenuous, sorry. <laughs> English is, is... I'm going to pretend it's not my first language. Um... Yeah, you know, when I'm putting links together, sometimes I, I'm I'm, uh, no, I can't speak English now. I've actually I'm actually gone. Um, ha what's your link there between Last Word and Rossi and Sam Agleton? 
I just wanted to get it out before I forgot it. <laughs> <laughs> Shameless. Uh, Will, do you have any anything in you know your, your final word on Rossi? Yeah, can I do a final word on Rossi and Mark McGee because I've got I've got a lot to say on both of them. So <laughs> go on then. Um, no, okay, right. So Rossi, first of all, what I want to say really, I, I don't know if he's listening or not, but there were some games early on in this season, and I think you know, especially we mentioned it a few times, but there was that Peter United win. There was the Swindon Town game, and there was strangely the loss to Exeter. And the football they played in those games was absolutely fantastic. And it's some of the best football I've seen Barnet play since I've been watching the club. And I think that I'd like Rossi. I know that it hasn't gone well for him, but I'd like his time at the club to be kind of remembered partly for that because you know he implemented, albeit albeit very briefly, a really good style of play with a lot of young players. And even at the start, a few players out injured. And yeah, of course, it hasn't gone well with all the bad luck with the injuries and so forth. But I think it's easy to forget when a manager reaches the end of his tenure that like you forget the the positives from when he was in charge. And I think that you know Rossi's probably done a lot of good for a lot of those young players who could end up you know going on to bigger clubs or becoming mainstays in the Barnet team in in years to come and played some really nice football as well. So you know it hasn't all been bad. I guess is what what I want to say. Yeah, um, and on Mark McGee and uh, Mark McGee. Just um, you were saying he was like Laurie Sanchez. Well, I'm not. Not quite sure. That's the, for me the best parallel is Gary Johnson, um, you know, who's now a Cheltenham Town manager. Because you talk to managers of some clubs who Johnson's been. At, I think Peterborough and Northampton are the two that stick out, and they would say he's absolutely dire. Then you t- you tell a Yeovil fan that Yeovil Town fan that, and he's took them all the way to the Championship. You know, so it's very. You know, I don't know. He's, he seems to be one of those managers that really polarizes opinion purely because his whole career has been so polarized. I think that. The only danger with him is that he's also got a bit of David Moyes in him because a lot of the the good works in the That's, first. That doesn't mean what it might. That might not mean what you think it means nowadays. Well, <laughs> well, no, I mean like because you look at Moyes, and, and again, people forget how good he was when he was at Preston and when he was at Everton because he's had a few bad jobs at potentially sort of toxic clubs, and I think potentially the same is true of of Mark McGee because he's he did really really well before you know Reading, uh, Wolves, Millwall, Brighton first time at Motherwell and then it's just the the post Aberdeen years where he's had a, you know, a few bad jobs that doesn't mean he's not still a good manager or there's not still a good manager in there somewhere and that's you know the same with Moyes isn't it Will that's you cool. have known me for a, a, a fairly long time now you should know better than to speak of David Moyes in a good way <laughs> <laughs> I tried don't just don't get me started Jonathan I tried I really tried buddy but he just insisted on going with it and I couldn't find the mute button quick enough <laughs> Also, I am taking great offence to the fact that he's calling Sunderland toxic. I don't know where you've got that from. Sunderland <laughs> utterly toxic. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, we are a uh, yeah. We're just a. I'm gonna. I was gonna swear. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not doing very well at the moment. Let's just a bit of that. <laughs> uh, Jonathan, do you have a, a closing statement you want to make on Rossi's time at the helm? Yeah, going back to what Will said, he has played a great deal of very entertaining football. Uh, actually in his time here um, and a lot of the defeats that people look back on were so unlucky I hate that word unlucky but it, 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 I think in hindsight a little while down the line people look back at this and think Ross Eames was so unlucky he was dealt such a bad hand with the injuries that he's had um, there was a good number of games I think there was a little spell of games where we just kept on conceding late goals to lose them lose leads or lose games in themselves and uh, that shatters confidence and I think that was the, uh, the the turning point I think because we 
we started off losing games when playing well and just being unfortunate. And there was a little period where we had John Akinde coming back from his injury that he had at the start of the season. And we were playing really well then. I think Exeter was in there where we conceded really late on and that completely shattered the dressing room from what I've heard. Like We, we completely outplayed the team who were unbeaten and top of the league and flying through the division. Uh, we outplayed them for about 60 minutes. They just had more strength and depth on the bench. They brought on a few subs and changed the game around and we conceded in the last kick of the game and that destroyed the confidence. The next game after that was Carlisle. Again, dominated for most of it. Looked really, really good conceded a late wonder goal and then not only was that John Akinde also got injured again I think that was the key turning point for it that I think the players probably just thought goodness me we know John's our best player and he's just been injured and he's going to be out for another six weeks again how are we going to cope with conceding late goals and long trips and long distances I think it just shattered all the confidence took a lot of the belief out of the side um, and when that goes it's difficult for a manager to turn it around I think um I feel for Rossi in that regard. Not a lot of managers, in the, especially in their first jobs, get it this hard. Yeah, it was ridiculously um, difficult, the, the set of circumstances he had to cope with, I think. Um, Tybo, um, I'm going to give you another go. Um, do you have any closing words on Rossi? Try not to be a facetious twit. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I think the guys have summed it up brilliantly. Um, and just to, without kind of going on too much, um, I would just kind of echo what I said at the beginning. It's It's not really fair to judge him um, on a period where he's had so much to deal with. The John Akindi injury alone is something that Martin Allen never really had to deal with. And, you know, when he was with Henry, he didn't have to deal with that either. You know, John's been remarkably fit in the time he's been here. So for him to be out, come back and then be out again is, you know, terrible luck. The fact that Shaq's been injured, terrible luck. The fact that Dave Tarpey's then been injured, you know, appalling luck, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not going to bore everyone with that because we all know that injuries have, have been crippling. It's not, it's, and the thing is, it's not just that he's missing good players. They've not been able to kind of gel and learn what he wants from them. They've not been able to gel with each other where there are kind of new players. They've not been able to, they've not been able to kind of build partnerships and so on and so forth. And it's just, you know, he's been set up to fail, really. The fact that we didn't get a holding midfielder, you know, I don't believe that's his fault in the sense of we have a director of football that tends to do those things. So he was dealt a rough hand. He made the very best of it that he could. And ultimately, it's probably good timing for everyone that uh, that this change, if it had to be made, now was the time to do it. Rossi leaves with everyone's kind of, ad or not leaves, he's still here, but Rossi steps into a new role with everyone's kind of admiration and respect, I think. And hopefully we'll now get the little boost that we need at a time when players are coming back to uh, to kind of make good on the foundations that he's laid. And if we do do well from now, then it needs to be recognised that it's the foundations that he laid that have enabled that, I would say. I would, I would, I would just like to add that it, it does seem like it was a knock-on effect. One tiny little thing led to another tiny little thing, and that led to another tiny little thing. And those things are just built up, and it's got to yeah. such an unfortunate state that it probably is for the best of everybody concerns Rossi as well that it's uh, it, he's now stepped back from that role but I would like to say that I really do hope and I quite expect him to as well to have a great deal of success uh, in the head of youth development role where we know he is very very good at that um, and like I said earlier it probably suits him that he doesn't have the stress or the worry of uh, and the pressure of um, the first team manager's role 
Yeah, I mean, two little quick things. I don't want to expand and repeat what you guys have said. Just two quick things. First of all, is that I think that hopefully, you know, time heals old wounds. I hope in time people will realise that actually, as a manager, he healed us through what... I remember this being... Sorry, to my memory, this was the worst injury crisis Barnet Football Club have had in a long time. And I, I hope in time people come to realise that he managed us through that period. And we lost a lot of games. We had a, quite a few draws and it was closer, as we've all alluded to, just based on, you know last minute goals going against us and then confidence dipping i just want to hope that in the future people remember that um for, for a new manager he coped very admirably in very difficult circumstances um is the first thing and the second thing i just want to ask you all very briefly and then we'll move on to um a question we took on twitter um and i'll start with you tom again um mm. do we think that there is a potential return to management for rossi somewhere in the future good question actually that i haven't prepared for will and jonathan i'm going to ask you as well so while tom stumbles to yeah. answer get yourselves an answer ready <laughs> i think i already have an answer i got the jonathan spare tom his blushes i go think on. someone i think someone will take a punt on him again if he if he wants to go into that again it's up to him of course but i think someone will be able i think someone will look past the injuries that he's had and what people tend to do before they appoint a manager is do some sort of research and if they looked properly and looked into it quite deeply they would see that there are many many good things that he's done in his time as a manager at Barney I think he will um, get another job as a, as a manager if, if he wants to in, in time of course will? Um, but having said that I quite right. like the fact that he's staying at the club and I quite want him to stay as head of youth development because I like him <laughs> sorry I kind of cut you off there I thought you'd, you'd just sorry. finish in the middle of that uh, Will? Yeah. It's, uh, it's really really hard to get another job in management if you don't do well in your first one. You know, I don't think you don't see, an, as far as I'm aware, you don't see masses of managers around who, who did, you know, didn't do well the first time. Now I mean, it's debatable whether he's done well this time or not. But um, I mean, I, I could potentially, you know, see someone slightly lower down the food chain um, giving him another go. And I think he would, he would deserve that if he wanted to. But I don't know why. I've kind of got a feeling that maybe his. I, mean, I don't have any evidence for this at all. But maybe his future will be more in the kind of youth development role the kind of under 23 manager jobs that kind of thing and potentially at a much higher level than Barnet because I think that seems to be his real forte doesn't it with how well he did with the the youth team and how well he's brought through the youngsters here as well that that maybe that's the the way his career will end up going but of course it's, it's pure speculation I don't I don't really know what's in his his mind about this sure and uh, Tom I'll come back to you you ready now buddy yes go on I, then. <laughs> I think uh well, I think they've both uh, both Will and Johnson have made good points there, so I'm not going to really piggyback what they've said, apart from to add that if you get Rossi in a room and kind of say, why should you get this job at whatever club it may be, I think he would talk about uh, he would talk about what he can do, and that is that he is a good coach and he can bring young players and he has brought young players through with great success and he can kind of get through to them and so on and so forth and I think that is a kind of profile that would fit a lot of clubs and just looking purely at um, results is, is not an accurate reflection of uh, anything I just looked I just pulled up his um, win percentage on uh, online and uh, in the spell with Henry it was 41% in the spell on his own it was 50% and in this season it was 18% so if you take last season on its own it was you know it was something like 45% on aggregate which is not a bad win percentage at all obviously it's over a very small period but I think if any Barnet manager had a 45% 
win ratio over the course of a season we'd have had a very good season and I think that shows probably a truer reflection of what he's capable of and is a better kind of um, you know example of his kind of the work he can do and has done than um, you know this season has um, has been really that's even fine. if it was longer yeah that's fair um, I'm going to we, we had a question earlier on Twitter and I'm very grateful thank you Chris for asking the question and as always before we're now trying to uh, let people know on Twitter before we record so if anyone has any questions we're happy to answer them or completely ignore them or fumble our way through them that's probably the most accurate of the three uh, the question from Chris was how seriously do you take other teams when they blame their poor form on injuries be honest I ask because I'm fairly cynical given the size of modern squads but this season has made me more appreciative of the impact Tom I'll go back to you um, how, do you, how would you answer that question yeah really good question actually um, it was actually sorry I don't, I don't did I say that or not but that was actually a really good question so thank yeah, you for sending it, it in um, when Jose Mourinho and Antonio Conte sort of take sly digs at one another in the Premier League and in the kind of pre and post match press conferences, we all go, ha ha ha, isn't that funny? They're so myopic, they can't, you know, they're so hypocritical, etc. Um, problem is, when when it's them and they, for argument's sake, lose Rom in the Tate Mourinho and Man United, he loses Romelu Lukaku, that's their Johnny Kindy, they lose. Um, Daly Blind, he's there. Elliot Johnson, they lose. Uh, Richard Brindley, that's their. Um, Antonio uh, Valencia. Right back is Antonio Valencia. Thank you, etc., etc. Curtis Weston's there. Paul Pogba, etc. <laughs> uh, <laughs> first time those two are in the same sentence. As much as I like Curtis as a player, um, but when they do that, they then go and they bring in, uh, you know, uh, Michael Carrick or someone. Ander Herrera is probably a better example in midfield. They bring in Marcus Rashford or Martial up front. They bring in Luke Shaw an actual left back at left back um, and so on and so forth Darmian at right back the drop off in quality between their their real stars their first eleven guaranteed stars week in week out and the guys backing them up is noticeable but it's not so much that they suffer too badly now I'm sure they would suffer if you know the equivalent players that we were without they were without <clears throat> excuse me but in League 2 you can't afford to carry 20 players of a quality that is that close you have to have 12 13 14 who are very good and at the level you need and then after that there is a drop off to kind of guys that are on the decline guys that are gamble kids and guys who are just always going to be kind of backup players i suppose so that is why we've been hit so hard because and it's not a barnet exclusively but it's not exclusively barnet problem it's a problem for any league two club probably any league one club and I'd imagine a reasonable amount of championship clubs as well that you just can't afford to carry, um, pay for and pay the wages of players that will ensure that the, the gap in quality between your first 11 and the rest is so narrow that if any of the first 11 are un unavailable, the rest can just step in and it, it's seamless. It's just, it's just not possible. So I think it makes this has made me think about injuries and the way we kind of assess them, I, I must admit. Will, how seriously do you take other teams when they blame their poor form on injuries? Um, I mean, I completely agree with Tom, to be honest with you. I think that um, if you've got a huge, huge budget, especially relative to the rest of your division, like someone like Man City or Man United have, um, you know, it's just ridiculous. You can't really be blaming blaming the injuries, even though they do make a difference. I mean, you look at, um, was it is it Mendy who's got a long-term injury at Man City? 
And then they've got Danilo to come in as a, as a potentially as a backup in that position who cost about 25 million. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, Manchester yeah. City basically signed just, was it four, three or four fullbacks? So they literally purchased a starting fullback and a more than adequate backup fullback in the same summer. I mean, it's, it's incredible, isn't it? You know, and they can't just, they can never really moan about it. And whereas at the other end of the scale you've got you know there was a point when we had Jack Taylor and Wesley Fongook as the two playing in central midfield um, can you imagine a situation where one of those big Premier League teams just takes two of their best academy graduates and, and that is their central midfield in, the, you know, in a Premier League match or a Champions League match it doesn't happen because they're not so reliant on you know the, the youth youth players because they've got a decent squad there so it's, it's two completely different ends of the spectrum I even think within one division it's um very different you know Portsmouth when they were in our league their budget was so much more than all the other teams in the division so they should be expected to have a stronger squad where they can't moan to the same extent but of course Morecambe are not in the same position so I think it is all relative to to where you are in the in the pecking order I suppose and uh, Jonathan same question to you uh yeah completely agree with Will and Tom the one thing I'd like to find out is I, I, I would like to scout, uh, to check all history books of all history, injury records and all that sort of stuff to find out which teams at which point in which years and whatever like that have had injuries as bad as us. I'm not saying we've had the worst ever injury record ever, but you so often find it, you hear teams going through injury crisis and normally they're missing one or two key players and a lot of other sort of make-do players we have missed essentially the the most crucial parts to every aspect every position every area of the pitch we're missing or that we're just about getting back we've missed them for so so long um it's bound to have an effect isn't it um the top teams as everyone else has mentioned they're, they're gonna have adequate cover uh yeah i can't i i'm really if i carry on too much longer i'm gonna be saying exactly the same words <laughs> that came out of the other two's mouth so, so. that's fine that's fine i mean uh so obviously everything you guys have said I agree with there is just one other thing that I wanted to, to touch on well two things One, one's semi-jokingly but if the, if we were playing football manager and we'd been dealt the hand that, that Rossi had been handed particularly with the, signing Dave Tarp as a star signing and then doing what was it, his second game out injured for a long time you'd probably restart right <laughs> that's the first thing I wanted to say yeah. I'm playing football manager and this has happened to me Tarpey's out for the season as is Michael Nelson that is true, and that gives a bit more context to your one in six, but you're still not good enough. Have 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 you got another seven players out injured though who are all key? Uh, that's yeah. fair. He was sharing screenshots earlier. His game is not going well. Um, Tom, you should probably on Twitter after this probably should put up some some of your injuries on Twitter so people can feel sympathetic for you and offer you advice. Yeah. Um, yeah. My my semi my sorry my serious answer to this question that um, I don't think I, any of you guys have touched on. So call me out if I'm just repeating something something else. Um, is that what people don't really factor in when they talk about injuries, obviously they talk about the quality of the player being replaced and this, that, the other. But there is the psychology of, of a player as well. So I'll use I'll use an age-old example because it's one that everyone knows. David Beckham on right wing and Gary Neville at right back had incredible chemistry. So you could take David Beckham out of a team and put an equally good on paper right winger, but suddenly Gary Neville might have a might be detrimentally impacted. Or the right winger might not perform as well in tandem with Gary Neville defensively. So there's there's that to factor in as well, um, which comes across much more to coaches and to managers in terms of um, the sorry sorry 
something that comes across much more on the pitch that can't be associated with managers or coaches. How I've got that so wrong as I'm raising it is, is terrible. So that's one thing. And then the one thing that does impact on coaches and managers regarding injuries is that it can ruin their shape. So you can have, for example, if we talk about um, defensive midfielders, you can have a classic sort of destroyer type midfielder who's limited on the ball, runs around, loads of energy, smashes a player, gets the ball back and hands it to another central midfielder who then builds the play, for example. Or you can have someone like a, to use Manchester United, who we've used quite a lot this uh, this evening, to use uh, Michael Carrick as an example. He doesn't really run around and smash people, but he does lie deep. But he starts with the ball. He's the person who builds the move. So um, if you have a player who destroys and is effective in destroying and they're injured and you have Michael Carrick sitting in reserve, you may play him. So for example, Manchester United last season, Ander Herrera was very energetic. Um, and when he didn't play, Michael Carrick had a tendency to play, or sometimes they used Pogba in that position. Now, I think we can all agree, hopefully, that Pogba is a better player than Ander Herrera and Michael Carrick, but why you don't want to be playing Paul Pogba in the defensive midfield position. So injuries have a huge impact because not just the literal quality of the player, but the way they play, the way they affect the players around them, the way that they change how you structure something because you may have a very disciplined player, he's injured, and then the next player you bring in may be a better player, but lacks the discipline. So suddenly you're, you're wondering if another player nearby has to compensate for this lack of discipline. So in short, we're all in agreement, injuries have a serious impact on any team um, in a slightly larger form. They have less impact in teams where the squad is huge, but yes, uh, injuries have a huge issue and just me personally I wish more people actually appreciated how big an injury can be Manchester United again to use them as, as the club for an example um, aren't doing too well at the moment and a lot of people are ascribing that purely to the fact that Paul Pogba is missing um, now you'd have thought Paul, Manchester United with such a massive squad wouldn't have such issues but that that's um, what people are saying is happening so that's just one player um, I hope I've answered that uh, Jonathan go on then yeah, I was just going to say, the person who asked that question, I have to say, I, just, I do agree with him in the fact that he said he was quite sceptical skeptical of teams uh, in the past when they s said that we've got an injury crisis going on. Um, I was a bit like that as well but a few years ago. Last season, I think you know everyone knows I'm a Sunderland fan. Sunderland had the more, more injuries than any other Premier League team last season. Uh, and it had a massive effect that we ended up getting relegated. Barnet, I don't think we've had more injuries than any other team in Lita. I don't think relegated, but it has a huge effect. And like you were saying, it changes the way you play, changes the shape. At one point this season, we didn't have enough strikers to play our favourite formation. We wanted to play two up front with the wing backs or anything like that. We, we simply could not because we didn't have enough players to play that formation. If we bodged it a little bit and played a player out of position, he didn't do a good enough job, so it might have been easier to change the whole formation and change the whole game plan and whole tactic around and that might have had a bigger effect than most people realise yeah I'd agree with that right um, Tom thank you do you have any plugs or anything you want to say to the wider audience please listen that's why we keep doing it uh, and follow us all on Twitter I am at TB Bodell T-B-B-O-D-E-L-L thank you very much for listening uh, William um well, you can feel free to tweet any questions to at Will G Evans while I get it right this time. <laughs> uh, Sorry, I started to snigger before we even said of, it. Ahead of the, uh, the next pod, but no, that's, that's all I've got to say, really. Jonathan? Yeah, same with me again. Ask any questions or anything you have concerning Barnet at Jonathan Blakey. B-L-A-K-I-E is, uh, is how you spell it. Most people get it wrong. 
I'm <laughs> sure uh, if you follow one of us, you'll find the others. I'm, I'm sure pretty pretty quickly. Um, thanks all for joining us. I wanted to say one thing as well to people who are listening. Um, obviously, just like Tom said, thank you for listening. It's it's incredible. I said this last time. I'm going to keep saying it. It's just really cool that the conversations that we would have had off mic anyway, uh, we can share with people and people interact with us and find what we're saying more than slightly interesting, which is <laughs> still mind-boggling to me in many ways. That's um, what we are more than slightly interesting. Well, you know, I, I don't want to commit to interesting, but slightly interesting. We're definitely more than slightly interesting. Is that fair? Probably. I hope so. <laughs> Good. Um, <laughs> I don't want. I don't want to commit to interesting. Tell us what you like, what you dislike. Is it too long? I fear it might be too long. We said we we're going to do a short one today, and it's going to be over an hour again, isn't it? So there's we'll a lot see. of podcasts yeah, we'll out see. there. So uh, <laughs> I, think, I think most people like if they're if they're Barnet fans and listening. I think they'd like to listen to us talk about Barnet for as long as possible. Everyone likes hearing and talk about their own team. Potentially, I mean, I mean, you tell us on Twitter. Talk to us if Jonathan's right, if he's wrong. Um, also, if you have, for example, halfway through there, we were going off on a, a wild tangent. Do you want to hear us talk about just go off on tangents and talk about things that aren't necessarily current uh, event related? Um, there's quite a lot of Will's been supporting the club for ages. Jonathan's been covering the club for a while. I mean, Will, Tom, and I all worked at the club. Um, so yeah, just all feedback is welcome, uh, whether it's positive or negative. And uh, I think that will be us for the day. Thank you once again, gents, and thank you for listening.